Hello, welcome to the Am I a Bad Mom podcast. I'm your host, Christy Ritz-King, trauma therapist, maternal mental health specialist, and mom of three. I have met so many incredible women through the various careers I've had over the years, and no matter where they are along their motherhood journey, they are powerful, they are brave, they are successful in their lives, and none of that matters because they all ask the same question at least once, and that is, am I a bad mom because fill in the blank. There are any number of ways to fill in that blank. And our mission with this podcast is to provide you all of the reasons why the answer to that question is unequivocally no. Every single time, no matter what, the answer is no, you are not a bad mom. And we're here today to show you exactly why. So welcome. We can't wait to help you feel better about the parent and the person that you are. Let's go. Hey, Welcome to this episode of Am I a Bad Mom podcast. Today we are talking about a topic that might very well be the central focus of all of my work, (laughs) which is sort of the art of letting go. And I'm talking about it today in the context of having older kids slash young adults in your home and how you can practice the letting go process in order to salvage your relationships with those kids. And by older, I mean sort of that middle school, maybe even like fourth and fifth grade up through young adulthood when they are really growing into learning how to exercise their autonomy. When we as parents are being very challenged by the idea that we are no longer in control of everything and finding that balance in between. A main focus of my work is this idea. It's the very first sort of pillar in everything I do, which is know yourself. And the reason for that is because when you know yourself well, you are a better parent. It's just that simple. You know, do the verb of parenting better and you just exist in the world better as a parent because you know yourself, you know your limits, you know your boundaries, you know your needs and you know your own triggers and wounds that need healing. And those are all the things that can sometimes get in the way of our parenting. And for sure, those are the things that get in the way of us being able to let go of our kids when necessary. And I like to think of the letting go process as the difference between controlling and guiding the kids that we are responsible for. And I think this is really important because I've seen a lot recently that not recently. I've seen a lot sort of over the span of my career, even including when I was a teacher. And I understood it better once I became a parent, this idea that parents are in charge. They're in control of the situation. They are, you know, the head of the household, whatever euphemism you want to use for it. The idea that parents know best and are in control and should be in control is, you know, a tale as old as time. And I'm not saying it's untrue. I just think it's the gray area where we can turn the wrong way if we're not careful. And I think of this, especially in this idea of punishment versus consequences versus behavior modification with our kids, looking at our job as that, as like behavior modifiers and like punishers or consequence givers or whatever versus mentors or coaches is a more, I think, realistic come from the area of coach, parent as coach versus parent as, you know, letter of the law, controller, you know, master of the home, that kind of thing. So let me just lay that out there. (laughs) You should probably know if you are not on the side of coach, mentor, parent, then maybe you should listen to a different podcast because I don't come from the angle that we know everything 
And we know better all the time, even. I've heard that recently a couple times that, well, parents know better. Well, parents know better. Well, the kids' brains aren't developed, so parents know better. And that's not untrue, but it also, I think, is that danger zone again in, well, they know better maybe because they have more life experience, but you don't actually know your kid. Ultimately, you don't know your kid better than they know themselves if you're raising them in an environment where they get to know themselves. So that was a lot of said. That felt like a word salad. <laughs> so let me go back to what we're talking about specifically today, which is the art of letting go. So here's what happens. Here's what I see. We bring home this new baby, whether we birth them, whether they're adopted, whether they're, you know, we foster and then adopt, whatever. We bring home a baby or a small child, you know, toddler area. And we think in our brains, they are like a blank slate and we are meant to create them essentially like, you know, help them create themselves. And the best of times we think we're helped, we're, we're made to help them create themselves. You know, I use in a lot of times I use the metaphor. I can't remember who said it. It wasn't me though, of the, they're like a piece of glass, like on, you know, they come to us like completely clean and un, un, untouched. And then throughout their lives, they're going to get scratched and dented and all of that stuff. We think of those babies or those small children in our lives as that untouched glass. And we are then responsible for how either maintaining that perfectness, <laughs> which is impossible, or, you know, how we get them, carry them sort of through the world in order to maintain as much of that perfectness as possible. We take on a responsibility for them that can sometimes feel like we are the only thing responsible for them. We are the only ones responsible. And it is our job 100% of the time to guide them in a way that they don't ever, you know, experience pain or hurt or any of those things. We know that's not impossible, right? We know it's impossible for us to keep them safe from every single thing in the world. But that doesn't mean that's not that sort of innate sense that we have that that's what we're supposed to be doing is keeping them safe from everything. And oftentimes what comes into that is, well, we made these mistakes as kids and we don't want them to go down the same road. And so we do everything we can to try to keep them from that. I talk about this in the episode where we talk about food. <laughs> There's a lot that comes up in there, the feet, the control versus the guidance piece of it. If you're sort of active in, in any aspect of parenting, if you are a sports parent, if you are an academic parent, if you are a food and nutrition parent, if you're somebody who sort of has thrown themselves wholeheartedly into creating this environment for your kid in some or all of those ways, it can be really hard when you get to the age where they start pushing back a little bit or making their own decisions or wanting something different than you think they should or can want. You know, if you have a kid who's been into soccer since they could walk essentially. And then they get to the age where they don't feel like playing anymore or they're fighting you at every turn on things or they're, you may sort of project forward and think they're going to regret this if I let them quit, or they're going to regret this if I let them stop everything, or I'm going to push through this discomfort of them voicing their concerns because I know that what they really want is they really want to play this game. So letting go and in that example, letting go is you have to be curious about what's going on. And so rather than jump right to that, I'm going to start where I always start, which is, again, that number one pillar of know yourself. And so if your identity as a parent, I would say mom, but really as a parent, is kind of tied to their success, whatever that means, if your identity as a parent is tied to their success or your identity, if you find that your identity as a parent is tied to some 
outcome for those kids, you need to pull back and examine that. If you find that your identity is parent, (laughs) this is going to be extra hard. This letting go piece is going to be extra hard. And then here's the kicker. Even if you don't think your identity is parent, for example, I think I tried really hard to make sure I kept my fingers in other things that weren't mothering. I went back to graduate school. I had various jobs. I wrote articles and books and blogs and like things that were focused not on children, my children specifically. They still were focused on children, but I thought I set myself up for being okay when they left the nest or when they pushed back or when they wanted their own things. I thought, no, my identity is not tied to this job of mother and my identity is not tied to any outcome of these children. And I'll be honest, largely that was true, but it did not protect me completely from feeling that hurt. Yeah. The hurt of letting go. So I don't want in any way to make it seem like if you do all these things, then when your kids grow up and leave the nest, you're going to feel great. (laughs) Let me be clear. It never feels great when they tell you you're wrong or tell you that they don't like you or tell you that you're, you know, they don't want to do what you think they should do or make mistakes or get hurt or any of those things. It never feels good, but you can do some things to make you feel better and to eliminate some of the instances where it's going to feel bad. So let's go all the way back. Sorry. I keep, I'm going to go off on tangents through this whole thing because I feel really passionate about this topic. And so I can make as many bullet point lists and do as much research as I want. And I'm still going to start talking about certain things. So bear with me for this episode. I feel really passionate about this topic specifically because I was really lucky as a kid to have some of this and modeled for me. And I think I've really tried to do it with my own and I see professionally where it causes some trouble for people if you do or don't do certain things. So forgive me for going off here and there, but just know that it all will make sense in the end. (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about this difference between control and guidance. So like I said, we start with this little baby that we think we're responsible for everything. I talked about this in the food episode. Your sole goal is to like, make sure they gain weight when they're those infant babies and you're, you're feeding them and you're changing their diapers and your input and output. That's kind of all you're paying attention to for a while and sleep, hopefully, if you're lucky. Even in like, they start sitting up and they have different opinions and they start walking and they have even different opinions. And this thing that they loved forever, they hate all of a sudden. Whether you know it or not, you sort of start the the act of letting go almost as soon as they're born. Because if what you're trying to hold on to versus let go of is control, spoiler, you never had it fully anyway. So if you're flexible in this parenting thing, you'll actually be able to look back and realize, oh, I've been letting go all along. So control versus guidance. Controlling is, it's my way. I know best. I'm not going to pay attention to what they are saying or what they want or what they tell me because I think I know better than them. I'm, I'm older. I've seen more life. I'm trying to protect them. They don't know enough. Their brain's not developed. Whatever the excuses we give, true or not true, for controlling versus guiding. That sometimes is easier (laughs) is because we don't have to worry about them getting hurt sometimes. If we control a situation, we can relieve ourselves of the notion that they might get hurt or they might stumble and fall or they might, you know, do something that they don't like or don't, that doesn't feel comfortable for them. The reason that we have the wisdom we have in adulthood is because we messed up. And because we were allowed to try things on our own. And I don't know if you remember all the way back to when we talked about attachment, but the secure attachment 
in a relationship gives kids the ability to go away from you. If they know they have a safe place to return to and sort of regroup and be loved and be nurtured, then they are more free to go out and explore the wilds. If you're trying to control them in an effort to help them, quote unquote, that's where it goes poorly for everybody. And that doesn't mean that you have like this lawless house that nobody has to follow any rules or do anything. Go back and listen to the boundaries episode for that. Your own boundaries, again, know yourself, know yourself, know yourself. Your own boundaries are what set the stage for the guidance of your own kids. And so knowing yourself, knowing what your identity is, knowing what your expectations for the outcomes of this parenting journey are, knowing what is going to hurt and help with your own kids. I always joke with, and it's a joke and they're older and I didn't make this joke when they were younger, but they're older. And I joke with my kids all the time. Like I was growing up a four sport athlete. I played whatever season it was. I found a thing. This was back in the good old days where you could play more than one sport and you didn't have to specialize when you were seven. That's a whole other episode, (laughs) but you know, I swam, I played softball. I played basketball for a time until I was not fast and tall enough. I played, what else, field hockey for a little while. Like I, whatever the season, I found something. And then I grew up and I had these kids that weren't really, (laughs) they weren't really into sports. Like I had one that played soccer for a decent amount of time. Of course, the one sport that I had no idea about, I had to learn. And then ran track. So I had to learn all new sports. But nobody with the, none of my three had the sort of intensity and passion and like single focusness that I had on sports. I actually, looking back, think that's a huge gift because I see that, how that can sort of be, can overtake your life too. And so I, I don't wish that we had it, but it took some learning for me to be like, how do I parent a kid who has no interest in, in athletics? And B, how do I feel about not having any kids who are have any interest in athletics? Like, how do I bond with them? What do I know? I don't know anything about theater. I don't know anything about track. I don't know anything about, and not that that's not athletics, by the way, but like, I don't know anything about video games. I had to really look at my own self because I could have forced them. I could have made them stay on the swim team. I could have made them continue playing soccer. I could have made them go to camps. I could have, and for all I know, they might've actually really loved it if I did that, but I didn't do that because they didn't express an interest in it and they didn't want to pursue it. And so I didn't push them in pursuing it. Here's what I did do though. And this is again, knowing yourself. And my husband and I talked about this prior. We had an expectation and a boundary that if it's a team sport, if you are signing up for a team sport, you will complete whatever season it is with that team. Even if you hate it, (laughs) because you have signed up, you have made a commitment, you will show up and be there. And that's important to us. And that included like a soccer, you know, soccer sometimes was both spring and fall. And so if the kid didn't like it in the fall, we'd be like, you got to get through the spring and then you can quit. So that was our boundary. And that was our guidance because what we were teaching them there was team, (laughs) team membership and responsibility rather than we were trying to control them and keep them on the team because we thought that was the best thing for them. We did. Quite frankly, I would have liked it if they continued playing because I do think there's a lot to be gained from that. But they were not interested in it and not just not interested. They really didn't want to do it anymore. And so I listened and we talked and we talked through it all. And we made the decision kind of together, like, okay, this is what you want. Here's what we think you need. And so here's the middle ground. 
you keep playing because you made a commitment for this season, but you don't have to do it anymore after the season. But let's reevaluate because you never know. Because again, as the adult, I understood they may change their mind in three weeks. I didn't assume that and make a decision based on it. I thought that might happen and said to them, let's reevaluate just in case you change your mind. So that's knowing myself. That's knowing, okay, sports is important to me and my knee-jerk reaction to keep them on this team forever in perpetuity is really about me and not about them. I do want them to learn about commitment and teamwork. And so that's something that we're going to have to compromise on. I knew myself well enough that I had the space and the capacity to listen to them and what they wanted. I also remembered being, I don't know, maybe they were 11 or 12. I also remembered being 11 or 12 and wanting to quit the swim team and not being allowed and not having any discussion about it. Just, nope, you made a commitment and you're on it. <laughs> now, the irony, and I'm laughing because my mom said that at 11 and her commitment in her mind was until you're 18 when the swim team ends. And I thought, well, that's really unfair, but whatever. I didn't want to do that to them. I didn't want to keep them on something because I felt like I knew better than them. Yet, I also did know better than them in some ways. And so I wanted to keep that open too. But if you don't know your own self, if you're not aware of your triggers and your expectations, then you're not even really going to react in a way that is anything but controlling. If you don't know your own stuff, you're going to react from a place of wanting to control the situation because you're probably triggered by something or your expectations aren't being met and you want them to be met. So the very first thing, as always, with anything is know yourself. What are you linked to as a parent? Are you linked to the outcomes? Are you linked to a healthy kid? Are you linked to a healthy relationship? What is it that it's really important to you? And is your identity hooked into that somehow? That's the hardest part of letting go is when we take on the identity of parent and that identity is linked to however or wherever the kid goes in life. We did a college episode I know so many people who have a hard time with college and their kids because the parent has the expectation, has an identity associated with where their kid ends up at college. We all do it. We're all human. I had it. I had that expectation and I had to know myself well enough to know I'm trying to put this on them and I shouldn't. So I'm not immune to these things. I just have the self-reflection and build in the self-reflection in time to know, ooh, I'm doing this. So from a control perspective, if you don't know who you are, if you don't know what's going to make you upset, then you're just going to react from a, a place of trying to keep that from happening. You're going to try to control the situation so you're never feeling uncomfortable. And that's not healthy for anybody, you or them. So start with knowing yourself. And in that, you can allow them to know themselves. I mentioned earlier that I kept hearing on a couple podcasts, like, well, I know better because I'm older. I know better. Their brains aren't developed or I know them. You know, I know them better than they know themselves. I, I fundamentally disagree with that. <laughs> and yes, as a psychologist, I fully agree with the idea that their brains aren't developed fully and that they can't make always make the best decisions and that they're going to mess up. But I disagree with the idea that they don't know who they are. I think if they grow up in an environment where they're allowed to explore that, it may look different from time to time. And I think I know my kids like I have never known anything in the world. I feel like I have such a grasp of what makes them tick. And yet it would be so arrogant of me to say I know them better than they know themselves because I don't. I'm not in their head. 
I'm not in their day-to-day life environment in a way that I see the decisions and the input and, and the output that they make in every moment of every day. There's no way I know them better than they know themselves. What I do know just from being older and having more experience is how the world works in a way that I could try to control every move to keep them from getting hurt or make a mistake or, you know, anything. I could hold on so that they have smooth or what I perceive as smooth sailing. The problem with that is that they don't have smooth sailing. And if they do have smooth sailing, eventually life is going to catch up with them and they're not going to know how to handle it. And I'm not saying, you know, release them to the hounds and let let the world beat them up. But I am saying that the reason I have more experience as an almost 50 year old is because I've messed up so many times and learned from that. I was allowed to mess up. I was forced to mess up. You know, some, some of the independence I had, I wish I didn't, but I had it and I learned from it and I am who I am today because of it. And what I want for my kids is to have that same knowledge of themselves and resilience that comes from messing up and repairing. And they can't get that if I'm trying to control their every move. That said, I will acknowledge how excruciatingly hard it can be sometimes. Case in point, I'll give you a little personal story. I have a 21 year old. I'm trying not to give too many details, but I will tell you that they have just made a decision for themselves to take a professional opportunity that is wildly inconvenient. (laughs) It, It is a professional opportunity that is nowhere near their college and is at a time that is very busy and packed full of activity. It's going to require money of theirs. It's going to require time of theirs. It's going to require a lot of convenient scheduling. It's going to require them reaching out for support from various parties. And man, I can't even tell you the physical restraint it has taken me (laughs) to not get involved more than her, like asking her questions about what her plan is. First of all, the very first reaction I had when I heard all of this was, you can't do that. And I'm just telling a tale on myself. Like, I need you guys to know that I'm in this with you here. My very first reaction was, no, absolutely. I mean, I didn't say this, but my very first thought and the feeling that came over me when they explained this opportunity, I believe it was a text message to both my husband and I saying, hey, I just got offered this thing. That's an amazing thing. We got a text message that said, I've just been given this great opportunity. It's these days. I have all these other things happening whatever. So it was the opportunity. It was clear that she'd already given it some thought and there was a plan in place, a tentative plan in place. My husband's first reaction was, oh my God, this is incredible. Do whatever you need to do. Drop everything and go. My initial reaction on reading it was, he's crazy. Why did he say that to her? We need to talk about this and we need to tell her no. (laughs) And so that's not what I said, (laughs) but I did. And I think I just responded with great excitement and enthusiasm. And then as the days went on, I responded with enthusiasm, but I was able to recognize myself. That is not what I was feeling. (laughs) I wanted this to not be a problem and just make it go away. I didn't say any of those things out loud though, because I know myself well enough to know that's my stuff, not hers. Like I don't want to make her, I also know her well enough to know that if I brought that up, I would just add to her anxiety. I know her well enough to know she made this decision and she's excited about it, but also she's really anxious about all of it. It's way out of her comfort zone and I do not need to pile onto that. Hey listener, 
If you appreciate what you get here as far as support and camaraderie and feeling like you're not alone, then I think you should really check out the Women of Wonder community that I run. It is exactly that. <laughs> it is a community full of support and camaraderie and you are not aloneness. It is meant to replace the old fashioned Facebook groups that we used to love before it got so mean and snarky and Facebooky. It is a place where you can ask the questions you have, where you can share the joys and share the sorrows and expect a supportive response, non-judgmental response. We meet weekly via Zoom. So we have people from all over the world that come and join us. And there are other supports like newsletters and uh, message boards and all of the things that you can and want and need in your life to provide you that support and scaffolding to help do this job we call motherhood. Check it out on my website, wonderinkwellness.com. It's called the Women of Wonder Community. And you can sign up today and get two months free if you do a year subscription. If you have any questions, again, always send me an email, but I would love to see you inside. So fast forward, the plan is enacted. <laughs> I am a hot mess, worried about every detail of it, worried about where she is and when she's doing it. And is it all going to work out? You know, all of the things. But I have to try not to put that on her. Hopefully she's not listening to this or if she is, it's after it's all over. But I'd have to try not to put that on her because it's not helpful. <laughs> I'm actually not helping her if I say, hey, no, you can't do it. Or if I say, hey, here's all the possible ways this could go wrong. <laughs> because I do, I have more life experience and I have, I am thinking, oh God, what about traffic? What about this? What about money for all this? Where is she going to eat? Where is she going to sleep? Where is she going to whatever? I'm thinking all those things. If I just do all that, if I just pepper her with all those questions, or I say, you can't do it because of X, Y, and Z. How is she helped? How is she learning? How is she growing? How is she moving toward being a fully self-actualized adult? What I can do is say to her, hey, here are a couple things I thought about. What are you thinking about them? And the reason I thought about them is because I do have life experience and I do have years worth of trying to do wacky things that I can reflect on to say, oh, what about X, Y, and Z? I do have experience driving the routes she's driving to be able to say, hey, this might not be the best time for you to leave. How about trying this instead? But I share that information with her as somebody like a mentor or coach who has been there before in some capacity. And I can say, hey, here was my experience. Do what you want with it. But you might want to have this information instead of, hey, kid of mine that I'm in charge of. You have to do it this way because I know this and you don't know this. And look, I'm not insinuating any of you guys are out there having those kind of conversations with your kids. You're not saying you do this because I said <laughs> I know you're not doing that. But I bet that on some occasions you are reacting from that place. You are reacting with them from that place of, I know better than you. I'm telling you what to do so that you don't get yourself in trouble. Because that's what we do. We do that sometimes. We react in a way that is well-meaning, but doesn't actually accomplish what we want. And if you know yourself, you know those things. You know those pitfalls to look out for. So I know myself well enough to know I am going to be way anxious about this thing till it's over. Like I actually just said to my husband the other day, like, I'm going to feel better in January when this whole thing is done because I won't be constantly thinking of where is she? What's she doing? How's it going? Is she doing it? Okay. Is she safe? Blah, 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 blah. On a smaller scale, let's think about like, you know, they go away to college, you know, they go away or they have to commute into high school. I remember my husband, where we grew up, went into the city for like 
went into, got on public transportation and took it every day down to not such a great neighborhood in the city to go to school. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, his mom just put his little tiny 14 year old self on a, on a bus to a train to a, you know, to the city. Like, I can't even imagine doing that, but she had a different, you know, she grew up in the city. So that wasn't even a thing for her. Like I was this little sheltered suburban kid who was like, oh my God, the train by yourself at 14. Like it just didn't even occur to me. She had a different experience growing up. So she wasn't worried about it. She might've been, had it been me and my kid, I might've been more worried and maybe wouldn't have let him or would have been very anxious, like put that on him. I don't, I just, you need to know your own self and I needed to know my own self to know Am I holding on here because I want to control this situation and I want to keep them from getting hurt or harmed or anything? Or am I offering them the guidance that they need to go that direction? So in knowing yourself, you allow them to learn themselves. My kid, my daughter is going to learn a tremendous amount about herself, her capacity for difficult situations, the amount she needs to sleep in any given day. She's going to learn, you know, the best tricks for keeping herself awake. She's going to learn how she can squeeze a lot of stuff into a short amount of time. She's going to learn so many things that she needs to learn because I have allowed that and my husband, we've allowed that growth to occur doing something that really neither one of us wishes we would have to do. So in knowing ourselves and knowing our capacity for this, we allow her to know herself too. And we allow for the possibility that she knows herself better than we do. She knows what she's capable of. She knows how badly she wants to do this thing that she's willing to sacrifice X, Y, and Z for it. And we have to respect that. So number one, know yourself, allow them to know themselves and allow for the possibility that they know themselves better than you do. Help. I wanted them to always feel like I could help them. I could talk to them. I could listen and understand. I never wanted them to feel like they had to be afraid of punishment or judgment in this situation. We talk a lot about this with clients and friends even of how do you let kids sort of navigate high school? Do you let them party? Do you not let them party? Do you have an open and honest relationship with them? Do you come to them with things? Do you punish them when they mess up? I think this is a know your end game is the perfect spot here. You know, if you have a kid who calls you from a party because either they've had too much to drink or their friend has had too much to drink and they don't want to drive you home, your gut reaction may be like they're grounded and they're never allowed to go out ever again in their lives. But the fact is, is that going to get you what you want? Do you want them to think my parent is the reason why I can't do anything? Or do you want them to feel like I'm in an unsafe situation and my parent's going to protect me? Because I can promise you if they call you and you pick them up and then they get in trouble, you are going to never get that call again. And is that what you want? Or do you want them to always know you are a safe place to keep them from the greater danger of if they get behind the wheel of a car or they get themselves home somehow because they're afraid of what happens if they don't get home? That's knowing the what do you want from the relationship? What are your expectations from that relationship? If it's an openness and an honesty, then you're going to know more about how to help them than if you just impose rules and consequences on them. They know they messed up. <laughs> you don't need to punish them out of that. And going back to that control versus guidance, the punishment and consequences, the whole idea of behavior modification, this idea that like, if we impose a consequence on them, if we punish them in some way, then we, we stop the behavior. That's absolutely true. 
99% of the time, especially in the moment, a punishment is going to stop the behavior. Yelling at your kid is going to stop your kid from having a temper tantrum, probably in the moment. But it will not stop your kid from having temper tantrums. In fact, it might make them worse even in the moment. But that's knowing yourself and knowing the end game. Like, what are you going for here? If you're just going for, I want to stop this immediate discomforting thing that's happening, you're going to do whatever you need to do to stop the immediate discomforting thing. But if what you really want is the kid to grow and to maybe stop doing these things, generally speaking, or at least be open with you in the way that you need them to, to grow safely up, then your behavior is going to be different. But if you don't know yourself well enough to know this thing is so triggering to me, I'm going to react whether I want to or not, then you can't get to that end point. So that's why I keep going back to it. Know yourself, know what triggers you. When you get that call from your kid, I'm too drunk to drive or my friend's too drunk to drive. If your immediate response is like rage, (laughs) and I'm not saying it shouldn't be, but if your immediate response is rage, what's behind that? Is that because it's actually terror and you can't believe your kid went out and did this, or you can't believe you're in a situation where your kid did this? Is it rage because it feels disrespectful to you? Like you told them not to and they did it anyway? Because we have a lot of that. We have a lot of these moments as parents where we're like, I can't believe they did that. I told them not to. And I just ask you for a minute to like go back to yourself as a teenager and a kid, even a kid. Did you always do what your parents told you? And if the answer to that question is no, Was it because you didn't respect them or was it just because you were a kid trying to find your way in the world? And sometimes that means making bad choices. I'm guessing the answer is the second one. And so when you get that same call and you have the response of, I can't believe they did this. That's so disrespectful to me. Do you see how that response isn't taking into consideration what you want the relationship to be like or what your actual end goal for the kid is? It's really just about how I'm feeling in the moment and what what I don't like. And so I want to punish that so I don't have to feel this way again. That's the difference. It's, am I reacting to stop my discomfort? Or is my reaction based on what I want for them going forward? Those are almost never the same things. Because one thing I can promise you about parenting is very uncomfortable. (laughs) Especially if you're doing it this way. It is very uncomfortable a lot of the time. I mean, you just heard me say, I told my husband I was going to be anxious through the month of December because I had this, I know I have this thing. My kid has this thing going on and it's just going to constantly be running in the back of my head. So if you know, like I do, what I really want is for her to grow and have these great experiences and feel safe enough to ask me advice when she needs it, then I know how I have to behave. If really what I'm doing is just reacting based on my own discomfort, I wouldn't have let her do it in the first place. And that's not really what I want. And I would imagine not what anybody who's listening wants from their relationship with their kid either. Nobody sets out saying what I want is to control their every move and make them carbon copies of me or the opposite of me so that their life is different. Nobody really means that. But that might be how you react because you don't realize you're being triggered by the things that are happening to them. So if you know yourself, if you know the end game for not only your relationship, but what is it you want for your kids as they age, then you're going to be much more open to the idea of guidance versus controlling. And you're going to be much more willing to be uncomfortable through the process. And finally, as always, I have, you know, curiosity is better than judgment every single time. If you can listen more to your kids rather than assuming 
what they're trying to say, or assuming that you know better, even as they're giving you an explanation, then even if the result is that you do know better, <laughs> you're going to be able to communicate it in a way that's much more helpful for both of you. And, and again, I really want to stress that I know this isn't happening every single time and every single interaction isn't perfect and peaceful and lovely. And there's definitely been times I've yelled at my kids, reacted with my kids, punished them for stupid things, taken their phone away when I shouldn't have, like things like that. I've done it all. But largely, I think we have a really open, honest, fair relationship. And I think they tell you the same thing. I think they would tell you I'm fair. I don't think they would tell you that they like me all the time. And I don't think they would agree sometimes with what I do. But I think, I hope anyway, that they would all tell you, yes, yeah, she was fair. She was fair. And we always knew she had our best interest at heart. We didn't like it. And we thought she was stupid sometimes for it. But now looking back, we can all tell you, we know she always had our best interest at heart. I really do think my kids would tell you that. <laughs> I know some of you are probably thinking, well, have them on and prove it. <laughs> Maybe I will someday. But I really do think they would say to you, yeah, we didn't always agree with our mom. We didn't always like our mom. But we know that she always was trying to do what was best for us, even when it sometimes wasn't best for her. So all the mess ups that I had, the overall sort of vibe, if you will, was that I was on their team. And that comes largely in my case from listening and not assuming. And again, I never did that perfectly either. And I still don't do it perfectly. I still mess up with them on the daily probably. But I try to take into consideration that thing I talked about earlier, which is that they know themselves and they know in that moment what's really important to them and what they're feeling really strongly about. And you might not agree with it and it might not be something that's going to be long-term, but acknowledging and giving that value is important so that they then will give you value when you say, Here's what I think about this. I've got some years on you, so I kind of know what to look out for. The other part of that, and this is the kind of behavioral shift for you that might be helpful, is if you can ask questions more frequently than talk, which is ironic coming from me on this podcast talking at you. But if you can kind of stop yourself from the like opinion giving or judgment giving and instead say, I'm wondering about this, kind of catch yourself catch your own thoughts, and then turn that into a question for them. That helps in two ways. First of all, I can tell you, I've given that little piece out multiple, multiple times. Many, many times do I say, have you asked that? Have you tried asking that? What happens when you ask that? I'm wondering about this. I don't know about every, but anecdotally speaking, of course, this is not hard and fast research, but anecdotally speaking, nearly every single time I've ever given that piece of advice, the person comes back to me and says, oh my God, we had the greatest conversation, or I learned something I never thought of, or I saw things a totally different way. I will say never, because I've never heard of it. So maybe they just don't tell me if it goes wrong, but I've never heard somebody come back and say that backfired. No one ever says that's a bad way of doing it. They might say it's hard <laughs> and they might be like, oh, I got answers I didn't want. Or now what do I do with this information now that I have it? But no one has ever come back to me and said, you know, that asking questions thing, that was a terrible idea. So take that for what it's worth. That's your behavioral shift is how do I feel about this thing? What do I want to come from it? How do I ask them so that we can get there? Like my daughter's example of I was anticipating some traffic stuff. I was anticipating late night driving. I was anticipating all the things that I was afraid of. But rather than telling her, oh, my God, I'm so anxious about all these things. I asked, what's your plan for this? What's your plan for this? What's your plan for this? And then I got the details that helped not only me feel better, but helped, I think, her look at things too. Like, oh, I need to add this to my list of things I need to do for here. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. So 
rather than telling her, I asked some things that helped her come to those conclusions too. They weren't leading questions. They were just questions based on what I was concerned about. And so listening rather than assuming, being curious instead of judgmental about your kids and trying to let go of that, I know better. I'm older, so I know better. I've done this before, so I know better. I know you better than yourself. Trying to let go of that as well is helpful. So these are all ways to let go. We haven't really talked about what it feels like to let go and what it feels like on your end as you watch them sort of leave your nest. And look, we talk about empty nests when kids go away to college or kids move out of the house. But really, the letting go process starts when they're much younger. Think about them riding away on a bike for the first time or think about the first time they ask you if they can ride bikes with their friends and you're not involved or think about even the first drop off birthday party. Like you start this letting go process much earlier than you even realize. And the earlier you can start this plan of helping them know themselves and you allowing them the space to grow and learn, the better the relationship's going to be when they're teenagers so that when they really do leave, you know they're going to be back. You know they're going to stay in touch. You know they're not running away from you. (laughs) So it doesn't feel as personal. I said at the very outset of this, you can't really prepare yourself for it completely. But what you can do is make it so that it doesn't feel hurtful when they leave. It doesn't feel like they're turning against me. It just feels like the natural order of things. And I know they're going to come back. It's not a final step that they go away for a little while or move out. That's not the end of our relationship. It's changing, but it's not the end of it. So that's what I got for you guys. Knowing yourself to parent better and the art of letting go is the same sort of four principles I always talk about. Know yourself, know your end game, listen, don't assume, and then just be consistent with it all. Thanks for listening. I will get to the me time segment in a moment. So if you like what you hear, we would love to have a review. We would love to have you just pop a couple stars up there or or even just subscribe and share with your friends. It all helps get the word out there that when you wonder if you are a bad mom, the answer is emphatically no. Thanks for listening. All right. This week's me time is going to be on the topic of letting go and some of the tools that I use to help me do that. I talk a lot about knowing yourself and examining your own biases and your own triggers and your own, you know, reactions and things like that. And there are some ways to do that. And one or two ways I have found effective is journaling, which I say that really loosely because for me, journaling has looked a million different ways. Sometimes it's literally a voice note when I'm thinking of something in the car Sometimes it's sitting with great intention and lighting candles and pulling some tarot cards and then writing what I'm meditating on and all of that stuff. That doesn't happen nearly as often as I wish it did because that is a whole ritual that it takes some time and it tends to unfortunately get pushed to the end. Sometimes journaling looks like waking up in the middle of the night and writing something in a notebook next to my bed because I can't go back to sleep if I don't put it down. But usually journaling is, I want to say daily, but it's more likely a couple times a week sitting and just kind of writing my thoughts down when I have them either whatever's coming to me or if it's an intentional reflection. What am I feeling like? What are my plans for the next week? What do I want to accomplish? What am I feeling and what am I stuck on? It's almost a little bit like self-coaching on paper. For some people, they don't like to write. So a lot of times it's voice notes or it's just little quick snippets here and there. You could argue that sometimes this podcast is a journal for me because it's a way to sort of verbally process 
what I've had. I've heard from a coach once that she used to just put her headphones in. She lived in the city. She used to just put her headphones in and walk as if she was on a phone call. But really what she was doing was a voice note for herself. And it was just a way of verbally processing what was going on in her brain at the point at that point. So if you know you're somebody who likes to talk, writing journaling might not be for you, but it might be, let me leave a voice note while I'm walking the dog or let me call a friend. Sometimes it helps to just talk it out with somebody else. So whatever the case, processing in some way, journal, voice note that way is a way to do it. There's an app called Marco Polo where you can actually video chat with somebody else. Well, it's just leaving them like a video recording. Some people love that where like you leave little Marco Polos and just kind of verbal (laughs) pour out what you need to for the other person and they can respond in time. I do have a specific journal that I use. I have two things. One is my planner that I will link to. It's not near me. I was going to show you if you're watching the video, but my planner is a quarterly planner and there's like a beginning kind of brain dump page every week. And then a list page every week, which is like perfect for both sides of my brain, I think. So that sort of is a forcing function. Every Sunday I sit down and do sort of a journal page, if you will, and then a brain dump page of a list of bullet pointed things. And then I have the Elegant Excellence Journal by Hilary Rushford is another one. And it's a just a little more intentional journal in that the beginning part has some prompts in it that help you sort of look at your whole year, some goals. And I'll be honest, I don't use every single page because it's very intense and very detailed. I don't have the bandwidth to be that intense and detailed, but I do like her, you know, goal setting and things like that to look at every, it's split into two. So I theoretically you could use it twice a year. You could use the first one whenever your year starts, whether it's January or school year or whatever. And then when you sort of run out of pages, you start the next one. And that sort of has you reevaluating all those things at the beginning again. Anyway, we'll link to it in the buy. I think she's selling them again. I got to be honest. I ordered so many last time and they're undated that I don't need them this year, (laughs) but I think she's selling them again. They're called Elegant Excellence Journal and it's Hillary Rushford. I'll find a link and put those in the show notes. And then the other thing I do in my Women of Wonder group and really with a lot of clients too is a value sort. And there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. In my office, I have a deck of cards that just have different value words on them and we physically go through and sort them out and decide which feels so like feel more important to the person and then we order them and then we write them down and we have a whole practice around it. And then with my group, it is a an online sort of checklist thing. They do similar things where you you kind of look at all the words and pick the ones out that resonate the most with you and then narrow those down and categorize them and such. I'm doing a very quick way of describing it, but the reason for this is it, it exists in many different derivations, including something called motivational interviewing, which is really designed for change, like big changes and transitions in your life. I think maybe that's where I first heard about it. I don't really know, but I've also, I've used it personally in a bunch of different coaching sessions and things like that in therapy, but it's a really good way of knowing yourself. <laughs> it is really one of those tools that you can use to examine Oh, what is important to me? Because I think there are some core values we have that don't change, but that maybe we lose sight of. But then there's also things that maybe we value earlier in our life that we don't really value as we go on, or we've been moving in a direction of something because we thought it was important to us. But now when we're really faced with it, it's not as important to us. And so that might require us re-examining how we do things and what we do. So the know yourself part of everything I preach, the value sort is a great way of doing that. If you are in the Women of Wonder group, you can get a free copy of my personal one I put together, 
or you know you can just google it also and i'm sure there's some resources out there but it's just one of the things we do in our group if that sounds appealing to you give us a try so all right that's me time for this week journals journals and values so i hope everybody has a great rest of the week and thanks again for tuning in don't forget to rate and review and subscribe if you haven't already all right take care keep asking all those questions and remember that whenever you think to yourself am i a bad mom the answer is emphatically no Thanks so much for listening. I hope you heard something today that made you feel better about your parenting and about yourself. Remember, if you have a moment, we would love a review. It helps more people to hear about us. If you like the episode, share it with your friends. And of course, subscribe so that you know when it's going to drop every single week. Thanks again. Until next time, keep asking those same questions and know that the answer to am I a bad mom is always no. No.